Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Well, as many of you know, through the summer, we are going through the Psalms. Last week, we heard from Pastor Lee as he preached from Psalm chapter 1 and sprinkled in a little bit of chapter 2, and we're looking forward to when he returns to finish up what he started there. This week, as you may have noticed, we're looking at chapter 19 of the Psalms. So look there with me as I read from God's Word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and the circuit to the ends of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warmed, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, use me, a wretched sinner, to bring your word to your people. Lord, it is an honor to open your word and to read it and present it. I pray that you would give us as Lee said, open minds and open hearts to understand and apply your word to our lives. Help us now to focus in and, and get a piece of knowledge that is being spoken here. I lift this all up in your precious and holy name. Amen. Pay attention. Look out. Watch your step. You might have heard one of these remarks um, from someone, either as you're entering a doorway to look out for the door, or perhaps in a classroom just prior to a test. I had a a teacher that many times would slow down and speak very loudly and clearly if something was going to be on the test. What are these? They're warning signs. They're used to get our attention. 
uh, either to, to help us avoid danger or maybe so we don't miss out on something. I think in a way, that's what David's here doing in the 19th Psalm. He's trying to get our attention to tell us about something, to warn us of something, but also to tell us to not miss something. According to C.S. Lewis, Psalm 19 is, quote, the greatest poem in the Psalty, Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So I got a lot of work cut out for me today. Um, there is a lot packed into the 19th Psalm, and I definitely won't be able to get to all of it. But Lord willing, I'll be able to show just a few things. Psalm 19 shows us to grow, or allows us to grow in our relationship with the Lord through three main ways. We are to deepen our relationship with the Lord through our observation of his creation, observing the law, and finally, by responding in prayer. So to begin, we may deepen our relationship with the Lord by observing his creation. Look with me there at verses 1 through 6. David is describing creation, and in verse 1 he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. So the, the, the sky is being given human attributes. That's typically called personification. And what that means is when something that is inactive, something that's not a human, is, is being given attributes of that of a human. So the sky is actually declaring, it's proclaiming, it's speaking something only we can do, only humans could do, only God can do. But the psalmist is doing that to draw our attention to what the creation is saying. It's speaking about God. It's declaring things about him. So he, he, he spoke about the heavens declare the, the glory of God is making a bold declaration about the attributes of God, his glory, his majesty. And one thing to note that is interesting is that he gives, he gives explanation that it is done without, throughout all time and throughout all space. He says day to day, and then again he says there is no place where his voice is not heard. So we see that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and at all places is God's glory being known. There is no place in which the sun hasn't touched. Think about it. Things can't exist without the sun. Photosynthesis doesn't work without the sun. Life requires the sun. In the same way, all life has been touched by the glory of God. Everyone knows that he exists. In 1959, George Harrison wrote the lyrics to a particular song. Many of us know it. Here comes the sun. You might even hear it, hear it going on in your head now. But why is that lyric so assuring to us? Why might George Harrison have come up with those lyrics? Well, because he's alluding to the consistent nature of the sun that each of us know and depend on each morning. We know even if it's cloudy out, we might not see the sun it's still there. It takes its course and it goes down at night. And it's still burning, we know at night, as it's burning on the other side of the world. And then again each morning, it comes back. George Harrison was alluding to this consistent nature that the psalmist also uses in Psalm 19 here to speak about the Lord. He's consistent, he follows a course as the sun follows a course. And, and each time we see the sun, each time it rises, each time it sets, the glory is to be given to the God above. All glory belongs to God. All glory for his creation belongs to him because he is the creator of it. So here in these first six verses, um, 
we see that there is one of two types of revelation that is being used here. We know that God reveals himself to the world and to his people by two types of revelation. The first is general, general revelation. The second is special revelation. I'll get to that in just a moment. But general revelation, for those of you who don't know, is the way that God is revealing himself to all people, all men, Christian and non-Christian, men and women alike. And this is primarily done through creation. Everyone has seen creation. Everyone has seen something that God has created since God created everything. Therefore, God has revealed himself to everyone. And so everyone has a chance to see that God exists. Psalm 14 reads that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Why might someone be called foolish if they say there is no God? Well, everyone's been outside. Everyone's seen the sun. Everyone's seen trees, birds, God's creation. Therefore, the psalmist is saying it is nearly foolish to deny after seeing these things that God exists. And therefore, each person is without excuse. Everyone has seen God. Everyone's seen the effects of God, God's creation. Therefore, each person is without excuse. I have a sister, and she happens to be here today. And a while back, she, uh, there, was a, there was a boy that began to like her, and they started dating. And when this boy, Duncan, was very interested in my sister, he began to learn what things she liked to do. One of the things she likes to do is swing dance. So what did he do? He went and took a class on swing dancing to learn how to swing dance. So the next time they were with each other and they went swing dancing, he knew how to swing dance and she was very impressed. Why did he do this? He was interested in her. He wanted to know what made her excited. He wanted to be excited with her about the things she's excited about. So he pursued her. He learned about her. I think in the same way, we as Christians should be doing the same thing with our walk with Christ. If we love Christ, if we want to follow him, if we want to please him, we need to learn what makes him happy. We need to learn the intricate details of how to glorify God and to enjoy him. So the psalmist is giving us a clear explanation of where God is to be found. He's to be found in his creation. We can see him. We can learn about him. But another place he can be found is his scripture. And we can learn even more and an even deeper understanding of our creator through his scripture, which leads me to my second point. We can deepen our relationship with the Lord by observing his law. And this is found in verses 7 through 10. One of the things that he begins saying there in verse 10, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Something that's interesting here is that David in a couple ways here, through 7 through 10, will state something about God, about his law, and then he will draw it in and apply it to us. So let's look there. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. We learn that the law of the Lord is perfect. It is without perfection. Therefore, we learn about something about its creator. The Lord has to be perfect. An imperfect God could not create a perfect law, a perfect scripture, an infallible scripture. But then what does he say right after that? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. He brings it to us. What, by implication, is he saying about us? We need reviving. We are imperfect. We need his law. He continues to do so. Look there in the rest of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
We can depend on his word, his testimony, because we know it's sure. And we can rely on it for wisdom. Once again, he is perfect. He is dependable. We are infallible. We are unwise. Therefore, must we, we must pursue him and continue to deepen this relationship with our creator. All of these things, in a way, are brought to us to draw us closer to him. Look there, having restored our soul, becoming wise, rejoicing, enlightening the eyes. These are all things that come about as a result of reading God's law, reading his word. And what these things represent is a deep, meaningful relationship. Think with me for a moment what a relationship would look like without these things. Without having a soul that is restored. Without becoming wise. Without rejoicing. Without enlightening the eyes. It wouldn't be much of a relationship. It would be deep. I mean, it would be shallow, excuse me. It would be empty, meaningless. And then, think for a moment, what would our testimony be like? What if we were trying to, to share our testimony with someone we met? Maybe a, maybe a coworker, maybe a new friend of ours. And we want to share. We're all excited about sharing our testimony in the Lord. But we're not rejoicing. We're not wise. Our eyes haven't been enlightened. What does that say about our relationship to the Lord? It says it's shallow. It's convicting. Because how can we be excited and share about something we don't even believe in ourselves? So this is important for us to deepen our relationship and to to look to these characteristics of what the law does to us as we pursue it. Notice here that the scripture doesn't just convert unbelievers. It also teaches you how to live how to live an upright life, and how to avoid inconveniences. Now, I have to preface myself and say that we should never look to Scripture merely as a way to live. I think the the first commandment, um, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, is the way we should read Scripture, to to glorify God. But, however, we can also learn how to avoid simple things. Um, it, It says, in keeping them, there is much reward. We can have both an earthly reward, but also a heavenly reward, if we read and follow God's law. Notice in these verses, as, as, as the law is being spoken about, how there is, a, there is a simple progression. That It says, first, the soul is revived. Then, you become wise. And you rejoice, and your eyes are enlightened. It's interesting, because that's, a, that's the same route that the non-Christian takes as they become a believer. Their, their, their heart is revived. They become wise. They rejoice. And now their eyes are opened. So it's comforting to know that this applies not only to us or to those who have Christians, but also to you, those who, who don't know the Lord. It can revive your soul. And it can ch- cause you to have a changed heart. Look there in verse 7 and also in verse 9. It says, The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. And then jumping to verse 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. What does that remind you of? Perhaps it reminds you of chapter 9 of Proverbs, verse 10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Here we see that that when when we pursue the Lord, we are given pure, sure, consistent teaching, wisdom, Contrast that with what the, Lord, the world is presenting to us. It's unsure. It's false. It doesn't lead to a good end. And we can't trust it. So there in verse 11, it says, Moreover, by them 
is your servant warned? In keeping them, there is great reward. How does that work? How are we warned? How, how are, it, are we going to receive this great reward? Well, we have to be in the Word. It's simple. We have to read it. We have to meditate on it, study it, pursue it. That's why this church has Bible studies. That's why it is encouraged to read your Bible daily. Because the Scripture is the primary way that God draws sinners to himself. So either you're learning about the Scriptures for the first time and this is all new to you, or you've been in the Word for years, it applies just the same. We need God's Word, and there will be great reward. The Scripture should be sweet to us. It says, more, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Maybe today that might just be money and honey, to keep it simple. People pursue that. You see it, anything that's sweet, anything that's pleasurable, money, possessions. The word should be more to us than that. It should mean more to us than that. We should have a desire for it, and it will be sweet. As I mentioned earlier, verses 1 through 6 describe general revelation, which is, as we know, the way that God reveals himself to all people. Now here in verses 7 through 10, we see that there's something different, and it's typically called special revelation. And that is the way that God reveals himself to his people, primarily through the word by work of the Holy Spirit. And this, this is interesting to note that there are attributes being given to what the word does that aren't given to what creation does. The word revives the soul. It enlightens the eyes. It brings rejoicing. Creation doesn't quite do that because there is no personal relationship with our Savior. However, our knowledge will only take us so far. We must respond. So, in the third way, we see that we can deepen our relationship with the Lord by responding in prayer. David here is demonstrating the posture, the attitude that we need to have in coming to the Word. We need to have an attitude where we respond in prayer. Even David knew of great, great, great transgressions. We don't know here, but when he says, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions, he might be referring to the incident we all know of David and Bathsheba. But regardless, David was still considered close to God because he came to the Lord, and that's the most important part. Like I said, it doesn't matter if, you, if you've never heard any of this before or you've, you've been hearing this your entire life. It still is a call for us to come to the Lord in prayer. We all need prayer. Think, think with me for a moment of a ship in the middle of the night on a foggy night. It's traveling in the sea and it sees the captain. The captain sees a light flashing. And since he's a captain, he's been around ships. He's sailed before. He knows that this is a lighthouse and he's approaching land. He has a decision to make. He can either continue his course headed towards land, headed towards destruction, or he can veer either to the left or to the right. I think in a sense, this is what David is saying. He says, moreover, is my servant warned? He's giving a warning. He's giving a cry, a call. He's saying, watch out. Veer to the left or to the right. Avoid these things. In verse 12, it's actually interesting. It says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent of hidden faults. It's a cry almost for one of the great solas of the Reformation. Sola fide. He's warning us we cannot declare ourselves innocent. We cannot discern our errors. And he's warning, don't do that. 
That's something only that the righteousness of God can do, that God can do in us. And he's, he's concerned with those who think that they can. Because if you think you can discern your errors, if you think you have found your hidden faults, you have made the first fault. And that's what he's warning of. But, but it's also your cry to examine our life. Look into our life. Pursue those hidden faults. Consider what they might be. And bring them to the Lord. He says, Lord, declare me innocent of my hidden faults. Something only that the Lord can do. This, this prayer is extremely helpful because he says, keep me from presumptuous sins. He's asking that the Lord prevent him from sinning. This parallels very closely to the passage in Matthew whereby we learn that sin can be our master. Sin, we can be enslaved to sin. And David is, is telling the Lord, he says, Lord, declare me innocent. I don't want to serve my sin any longer. And he's encouraging us to do the same. We know you, you can't have two masters. You can either serve the, yourself, the flesh, or the Lord, the Lord. He's wanting the Lord to be his master. He's also asking the Lord to bless his thoughts. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight. Well, how does all this happen? How, how, does, how can we be, be declared innocent? How can the words of our mouths be made acceptable in the sight? Well, it's simple. It's the cross. It's the work that Christ did on the cross that allows our words to be made right in the eyes of God the Father. It is a relationship that is made deeper with Christ whereby He takes our actions, He takes our sin, and makes us pure. He draws us closer to the Lord. And that's what, in a way, David is praying here at the end of this psalm. He's asking that the Lord would do this for him. And so I encourage you to think, what is it in your life? Have you, are you able to declare, declare, make the same declaration, Lord created me a clean heart, make me innocent? And it is through that relationship that that happens. It's through a personal relationship with Christ that that takes place. The Lord doesn't accept sacrifices anymore, but what he does accept is a broken and contrite heart that is brought to him in prayer through the Holy Spirit. So, let me try to wrap this all up. In a way, this, this chapter, the 19th chapter, gives us a few ways to deepen our relationship with Christ. First off, we see that the psalmist is wanting us to spend more time in nature. That's an, actual, that's an actual call. Go for a hike. Go for a walk. Watch, watch the sunrise. Or perhaps maybe you're more of a sunset person if you don't like getting up early. And think on the Lord. Remember that the glory, the awe, the breathtaking view that you see, that glory belongs to the Lord and it must be given to him. Secondly, we see that he wants us to spend time in his word. Spend time in his word with each other, by ourselves. Meditate on it, think on it. Digest it as if it were food. And then finally, he, he calls us to respond in prayer. If God is the giver of creation and the giver of his word, then he is worthy of our praise. We must respond in prayer. If he is perfect, if the law is perfect as it claims it is, there is no other response we can have than to respond in prayer. Nothing in this passage implies that we should have a stagnant position towards our relationship with the Lord. Nothing is passive here. Everything is active. 
calling us to act, to, to move, to lean in into our relationship. You're never called to sit there passively. So his word com- commands us to do so. And if we follow his commands, as the psalmist says, there will be great reward. And we know that that reward doesn't necessarily come on earth, but it comes in heaven. So it should bring great encouragement. Great encouragement to observe his creation, to read his word, and then to pray. So let me go to the Lord in prayer and do so now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, in reading your word, understand that we are just sinners in need of your grace, in need of a deeper relationship with you. Help us to do that now, Lord. Help us to understand what it means to grow, what it truly means to learn who you are. Help us to invest time and effort and money into loving you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen.